Hello and welcome to Whose Song Is It Anyway? I'm Dr Hayley Brosher and for this special season of the podcast focusing on women in the music industry, I'll be your host. Welcome Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us at Abbey Road today for the Whose Song Is It Anyway? podcast, we're really happy to have you. Thank you so much, I'm very honoured to be here. Um, I've listened to the podcast, you've had some amazing people on and I hope that I do the podcast some justice. Oh, you will. We're so thrilled to have you. And thanks for the plug. Anyone listening for the first time, check out the podcast. We do have genuinely some amazing guests. I don't actually know how I get people to agree. I'm always like, I'm just going to ask. And if they say yes, great. And they do a lot of the time. So I've been really... your ego says yes first and then you go, oh... (laughs) What did I just do? Shit. (laughs) What's going to happen? No, I'm really, really grateful for all the guests and for you for coming today. So thank you so much. So tell our listeners who you are and what you do in the music industry. So my name is Stephanie Horton Campbell. Um, I'm currently the Director of Operations at UK Music, which is an umbrella trade association for the music industry. Um, You've had Tom Keel on. So if anyone wants to know what we really, really do, definitely listen to Tom because he is a genius and expert on all things UK music. As director of operations, my role is to ensure the organisation is running really effectively. So the secretariat for the, our board and make sure that our events run really well. Those are kind of like the broad remit of my role. I've worked in music, in and around music for nearly 30 years and it still sounds a bit weird to say it. That is, and we were just talking about this with Chess, who is 30. So you've been in the industry oh, for the as pain. long as Chess has been alive. The pain. No, no, um, no. I mean the experience. Yes. I'm so, so excited bring, to learn you from you. You do bring that, but it does feel like it's a bit of a blink. Yeah. And I was like in my first job working in the press office and now it's 30 years later. Um, I did have a really funny thing of coming back to the industry. So I had a, a, a break, a bit of time out. Well, not time out. I just worked in a different industry completely. And went to the Music Week Awards maybe June of last year and um, walked into the room, looked at the guest list, saw a name of someone that I haven't seen for like maybe 10 years, but I worked with in my first job. I found him on his table and I have a very distinctive name. And he saw me and that's the first thing he said. He was like, oh my God, Stephanie Horton Campbell. And so to be remembered literally 27 years later was one of the things that made me realize that coming back to the music industry was the right choice for me right now oh nice I mean it's not just your name I'm sure you obviously (laughs) left an impression and I can't wait to pick your brain because I feel like 30 years of experience in the music industry you've surely learned a lot yes some good some hard some some hard-worn one lessons so but I'm interested to know why did you was it what was the choice about leaving and then and then coming back oh that's a really good question so I worked my uh, worked for a company called CC Skills, which was I was the music industry engagement person. So looking at skills and skills gaps, what the government was doing in initiatives, mainly around apprenticeships and how we could get the music industry and ad industry at the time involved in those schemes. Um, I got made there was a restructure and I got made redundant. And so I decided I was going to freelance and I realized I'm not built for that life. Like, I'm no, I like there's a part of me that likes routine and regularity and, and being a freelance, you have to be able to dip in and out stuff. And I just didn't like it. And also at the same time, we were having that realisation, um, there was a change in government and all of the funding for all of the projects that I was working on literally switched off overnight. So I had like a six month plan of work 
And then I literally had three phone calls and all of that work just oh disappeared. So I had to go and get a job. And after sobbing uncontrollably, <laughs> like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, I phoned one of my dearest and best friends um, who doesn't work in the music industry. And she's, go, she's like, I'll give you like 10 more minutes of crying time. And then we've got to have a plan. Love and that. her plan was like, um, you, can, you, can, you can be a PA anywhere. You can do that. So just go out and get a job. And I did. I attempt at an organisation called um, Lloyd Register. And they are a shipping organisation. And I was going to be there for three months. And I ended up being there for eight years. So that was my wow. moment outside of, out of music. Shipping. It, <laughs> it couldn't have been more different. Except for the fact that people are really passionate. And uh, if you work in the music industry, you know that most people are very passionate about the industry or what they do in the industry. Um, even in the slightly nerdy uh, world of engineering, they're really passionate it was an organisation which talked about safety and were passionate about safety. Mm. And you knew that the work that you do you did in that role was around saving life and making people safe at sea. And so actually you could find your hook in it because that's the thing I need to find in any job that I have, that I have a hook that makes me want to get up and do it, have a, like a real purpose to it. So yeah, it makes you it. care. It makes, makes you care, care about it, yeah. Um, and then so I could see how my input and the work that I would do could help facilitate that and that's what I've always looked for so it was a and I learned so much I definitely learned around how you um look after boards that secretariat piece um how a lot you of transferable spaces. skills yeah. isn't it how you make and I think it's important to highlight that in the music industry in general is sometimes we don't always recognize the skills and expertise that we have mm -hmm. because we're like oh I just do this thing but actually especially in the music industry there's so much networking peopling like I call it peopling sometimes I'm like I love peopling but it exhausts me so I'm like yeah. too much peopling today I need to <laughs> nap um and those are the transferable skills that make you kind of you can do anything yeah. in a way that confidence that problem solving I mean I think that although shipping is so different actually mm. the things that you learn can apply anywhere so and what brought you back Oh, good question. So um, I have this line. So I've been made redundant five times. It's not me. I am not the drama. <laughs> just so we just put that out there. It's not me. Just, okay, it's confirmed. Not me. Just confirmed. Um, but I got made redundant at the end of 2021, I want to say. Yes, 2021. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to take quite a bit of time off. Um, and then I started to look for a job. And I kind of knew I wanted to work back in creative field but I didn't know particularly what it was going to be and it was one of those moments I you know I was doing I was living very much a, a, a lady of leisure lifestyle I um got up in the you know late morning and had a lovely <laughs> breakfast and thought oh, oh, I'll go on to LinkedIn and I just have a look and I, I went on to LinkedIn and this role popped up and I looked at it and I was like I had that feeling in my stomach and I was like oh maybe you should look at this one uh -huh. and I did um, and I have, I, I think I just tell you the story about applying for this role um, because I think it gives a real indication of what it's like when you're female of a certain age applying for something. Okay. And so I saw it and I read the role profile and of course there was like a few things I hadn't done. So of course my doubt set in like, could I actually do this mm. role? <clears throat> and then I remembered that the stats women do that all the time. They knock themselves yes. out. So I was like, I'm not knocking myself out. I'm going to go for it. I called a friend who still works in the music industry and said, I've seen this role, what do you think? And they were like, go for it, do it. I can put in a good word. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. 
don't be like networking on my behalf I'm not ready yet and she's like well when you're ready tell me okay and I was like okay they said the Friday so I swung around for the rest of the Friday the application needs to be in on Monday at five o'clock right so I swung around all Monday Saturday I have like the worst imposter syndrome I can't do this job it would be too much I don't know who who do I think that I should be the one doing this role have that day Sunday I'm beating myself about having the day that I had on mm. Saturday still not doing the application yeah. am I no <laughs> no, no you're going through an emotional no, journey I'm literally and then it gets to m- Monday and I get out of bed I don't even take off my pajamas I think I brush my teeth that is as much far as it got I got to my laptop and I'm like you're doing this application I did the application, really proud of it. And I have to go back that I'm dyslexic as well. So, so writing at speed and like yeah. that, I get really, really stressed. And I was like, but you've got to do it. So I did it. I sent in my application at 5.58 precisely. I've never hit my ca- wow. keyboard so hard to the send button. Like, send it, send it, send yeah. it. And then was like wasted and exhausted afterwards. Um, And it always goes back to the thing that uh, a piece of advice I, I got about work is make the call and take the call so if your gut tells you to do something 99% is the thing you need to be doing go for it I love that and when the opportunity comes and it knocks on your door like Hayley going to you would you be in your podcast even though there's a part of you that going no I'm not doing that call I'm not doing that call I'm not doing that call (laughs) take the call do it because you never know what's going to happen so yeah my journey back in um was kind of like I kind of want to work in creative but that opportunity came to me and I was like even though it was a rocky bit to get my application in I'm really glad I did it well we are all glad you did it (laughs) and you're here and thank you for sharing that because I think it's really important that sometimes we can easily look at successful women like yourself and think that it was easy for Mm. you or assume that you always felt confident enough to put yourself forward for these roles and things like this and so it's so um you know, comforting to hear that you went through that journey. I guess my question is, that might, what happened Sunday night to Monday morning that got you to shift out of that self-doubt? And then, and we all do that. They call it in, I've read the books we've all read, the double arrow. So like you're beating yourself up about being mean to yourself. And then it's like you're hitting yourself twice. So totally relatable. But I'm just wondering, do you know, maybe you don't know, um, what is it that changed for you between Sunday night and Monday morning that got you to sit down at your laptop? Okay, I'm going to try not to cry. So my Crying one is, is fine. My, my, my one is, I have three nephews that I love with all my heart. Like, they're amazing. And um, I know they're going to be black men in this world. I tell them all the time they have to be able to do difficult things because their life is going to be difficult. They're going You're giving to have me to, goosebumps already. They're going, to, they're going to have to do things that are going to be really hard. I can't do that. Honestly, I can't have that conversation with them if I don't do hard things. Yeah. And that was the thing that woke me up in the morning. I was like, this is a hard thing, but you still have... We can do hard you things. You can do hard things. It's I hard. Them, I, yeah. It's hard. I tell them that all the time. But if I'm not doing it and if I'm not embodying it, yeah, then how can I say it with them with conviction? They look at me and go, yeah, auntie knows what she's talking about. All right, I can do hard things. So, I love that. Yeah. And I think it's such a... It's a motivator when you think about how what you're doing benefits others and whether that's someone, your relative or it's your community mm-hmm. or, you know, your culture and, and people within the same, who identify in the same way that you do, things like that, where like you're pushing forward, you're moving the needle on behalf of 
every f-ing black woman, black but person. There is a, such a because I'm gonna touch into a thing because I was thinking about what we would talk about, and I'm very lucky that I have an amazing coach. And so when I came into this role, well, she came to me. So she knows me from being on the Music Leaders Network in like 2008. 2007 and she saw that I got this role and she just reached out to me she was like hi Steph how are you doing and I was like I'm fine I'm fine you know that high like high pitch <laughs> I'm fine. fine I'm definitely fine I'm fine um and she was like well let's just have a call and catch up and I and I was like take yeah, the let's call do that. and take the call um and I was like and I remember prepping for the call thinking okay so I'm not gonna cry I'm not good because Tamara has this ability to ask the question mm. that will make your bottom lip just I like know. start like, I know she's an amazing people. amazing coach and I was like, I'm not going to get on the call. I'm just going to ask her about what she's doing and about family life and blah, blah. I'm just going to get a catch up. Two questions in, I was in tears. So I was saying about, I think where you're leading to is like the pressure of the responsibility yes. so of leading the, the needy for the whole community. And one she said to me was, because I was talking to her about this role and there was another role that I could have taken while I was doing this uh, when I was making a decision about taking the UK music role. And she's like, I, I can understand why that role would have been appealing. But you have to remember what it looks like for a woman that mm. looks like you, dark-skinned black woman of a certain age, doing this role. And she used the word role model. And I was like, now oh, I'm really freaking out. Because I just that was never my aim. And my, you know, my my way of operating usually is to always be below the radar. Just enough so that people know it's you. But I'm not above the parapet. I'm not shining. I'm not standing out there being bright light. I'm just like in the background doing my stuff, which is very much an operation COO kind of place. And and I think lots of women in the industry do that kind of role. So it, it, it completely freaks me out because it plays into that thing about being perfect. Because now if I'm there and well, people being can see seen. me and you've been seen, then my level of perfection, which is already kind of really unhealthy, goes into a whole nother sphere and I had to kind of it's taken me quite a while to dial it back down again and do the thing that it's not about being perfect I still get caught in it I got caught in it last week about not doing something walking around the block trying to work out why am I not starting this project why am I not doing this thing and it's because in my head I've decided it's not going to be perfect Mm. and I'm not getting and so in a way I sabotage myself and I'm not going to get it done yeah Um, and that's what perfection does to you sometimes it's I think it's positive to want to do really good and strong work, but not to detriment of getting it done. Get it done. Yeah. And usually, you're so amazing anyway. You're done is like people think that you've like, you're genius. You may not feel you're, it. You, you don't, yeah. You don't, but everybody else is walking around yeah. thinking, oh my God, that's just an amazing so piece of work. talk to me about this perfectionism kind of, I don't know, philosophy is the wrong word, but idea. It's an it's an idea in your mind that, you need to be perfect all the time or your your work needs to reach a perfect level like where do you think that comes from and how do you I'm thinking in particular in context of being a black woman in the music industry and because some of it's obviously like your own stuff yes but then there's also what the industry puts that expectation and and society we're brought up in a society where we feel so what is it for you do you think what's the driver behind that perfectionism I think it's definitely society. I think uh, if you're a person of colour and if you're a black person and if you're a black person of colour that was brought up in the 70s and 80s, then you would have heard your parents say, don't bring trouble to my door. And there was a thing around, 
when you're outside in the world, don't do anything that brings anything bad or negative to our household. Um, so I think there's a level of that, um, a level of perfectionism around being dyslexic because you make mistakes, um, silly mistakes. And I wasn't diagnosed that I was dyslexic until I was 38. So I went through all of my schooling, doing a master's degree, which made me go gray, which is why I'm blonde now, um, not knowing that. And so I would make mistakes and I couldn't work out why I was making these mistakes and having this like desire to make it perfect all the time. I didn't want anybody, I didn't want to feel stupid. So I had to make it perfect. So there's a, there's that additional layer. And then I think a little bit about being that role model. I'm usually the only person who looks like me in a room. And so you carry the, you feel like you can carry the responsibility of your whole generation, your race, everything. And you want to give a real perfect example of that, example, a part, part is of, example of that, but no one can. No, no one can be that perfect, but it, it, it is, it's a very dynamic and fluid part of my, the way that I work on it, it, it catches me out all the time. I think I've got over it and I'm fine. And then I'll be walking around the block going, why am I not doing this project? Yeah. And it will go, oh, that thing again. It's yeah. back, it's back. But I notice it better, I notice it quicker and I change tack quicker. Yeah, well, that's the work, isn't it? Yeah. And I think in some ways, the, what you're saying about the responsibility that you feel in the room is is a motivator and it can be a good thing mm -hmm. as long as it's in check. Isn't yes. it? And it and it's not prevent it's not putting too much pressure on yourself, you're not depleting yourself, you're not looking after yourself and for the sake of other people to your own detriment, which I think is easily done when you carry the weight of that yeah. responsibility, which is unmanageable. You know, you can do your bit, but you can't individually, single handedly change <laughs> history and the course of history. And people's so, perceptions. You exactly. Can't do it and you're yourself. doing your bit you're doing your bit. You are. You are making a difference. But to carry the I just visualise it as like such a heavy weight on your shoulders. Um and I do and I think I, the song that's going through my head is Bag Lady by um Erica Badu, because it is one of my favourite songs of all time. But it reminds me that you can't, you, we carry those bags around with us and we think it's normal. Mm. You think this weight is every day. Everyone's carrying this weight. And that's when I sometimes look at other people in, in how they're working. I'm like, how are they getting away with that? Like they, and I'm like, they don't carry the bag you're carrying. Mm. They're not carrying it. They're not. They're walking around free and, and it feels like free and easy, but they're just not carrying that stuff. Um, I, I remain cognizant of, who I am and I do welcome the responsibility of the position of my role um it gives me the opportunity to do things and be in rooms that I would never have been in before and I'm learning how to manage I don't have to be perfect in the room mm. I'm already in the room so I'm great yeah I'm exactly. already in the room I'm great you're, in the room. you're amazing Everything, everything else, else everything yeah. else is a bonus you lot are lucky no no yeah. that sounds so so good to you. No, but it's um, true and i think, but I what think you we said... worry about we worry about getting in the room and then we worry about being in the room mm. and one you should be in the room anyway so don't even start about worrying about how you're getting into the room and secondly you're in the room you're already you've already done the work you already in, this is the word we've used before like you're already worthy yeah just go and do the stuff that you're meant to do yeah. and do it really really well 
Yeah. I mean, it's easier said than done though, right? Isn't yeah. it? Do you don't, we, of course we all question ourselves and I'm sure, but it's that I love the analogy you said about the bags not being carried. I think there are two things there. One is that obviously as a woman of color, a woman and a woman of color, I say that with, that's a lot of weight to carry. That's a lot of weight to carry. Whereas if you were looking at say a middle-class middle-aged white man, it's they're carrying different bags, but much lighter ones for sure. And I think that's really important to remember that just because you're carrying and it feels normal to you because you're carrying them all the time actually you are carrying a heavier weight and you need to be kinder to yourself words I've (laughs) taken from you um hear your own advice the other thing I would say though is that some people I would say you included and myself included for sure we make it look easy Oh, do you know what I mean? Ouch. Do you know what I mean? And I mean that in a, it's kind of a compliment, but it's kind of like, why do we do that? Where we come across put together and easygoing. And so you think I'm not carrying bags. I'm also dyslexic. I'm neurodiverse. You know, I'm a woman in the music industry. These things, these people don't know I'm carrying this. Mm. People like I can see you with my eyes and I'm an educated woman. So I know that you're carrying some bags, but I didn't know about the dyslexia. I didn't know about the perfectionism. I didn't know you were carrying those bags because you carry them so well. doesn't mean they're not heavy. doesn't mean they're not heavy. And I think sometimes as women, I don't know if this is a generalization, but I'm sure people can relate to this, that we carry heavy bags like in heels. Do you know what I mean? We make it look easy. And I feel that that's weirdly part of that issue. It's to struggle, but don't let anyone know you're struggling. Oh, no. Never. And it was a thing that, and that very thing meant that, was it last year, the year before, I had to have four weeks off work because my anxiety and the stress of working in a lockdown, mm. I wasn't working at UK Music at the time. I was working in another organisation, which was a un- very unhealthy environment to work in. Um, and I had to have four weeks off. I've never had four weeks off work like since 18, like I've always worked and have to have time off because my mental health isn't great. I mean, literally, I couldn't comprehend that bit, let alone the fact that I wasn't very well. And it took that to make me realise that you're carrying all this stuff and you've got to, you've actually got to start sorting the bits that you do actually want to carry and the things that you have to let go of. I don't want people to have to get to that point before before they make a change, before they do something different. So it's not around showing people that it's really hard and it's really difficult it's more people accepting that you're a human like everybody else that you have vulnerability and I don't think in that we as women within the workplace are allowed to show that level of vulnerability so I'm a woman of a certain age going through premenopausal symptoms um and at the time wasn't getting treated for it and so I was trying to manage it all by myself thinking that I could do that and then realizing that actually I needed to ask for help and I needed to ask for support um and anyone who knows me very well knows that is my biggest struggle I will I will cut my I'll cut my nose off to spite my face then to ask for help do you know I have that very same thing such a bad thing once a therapist said to me so I drive and I lived at the time in like the countryside and um for whatever reason it came up about selling my car and I was like no I, I couldn't possibly because what if I need to drive somewhere what if there's an emergency and I don't have the car whatever and it just was such a poignant moment in my mind because she was like you could 
call someone for a list lift and I was like I'd rather die <laughs> I'd rather die than call one of my willing friends and ask them for a favor of a lift even though if you asked me if you called me tomorrow and was like Haley, can you drive me to Scotland I'd be like what time are we leaving you're like I'm so ready to help other people but I have I really struggle with that asking for help from other people something I'm also working on and I I just remember that you just reminded me of that specific moment where I was like it's one of those moments where you realize something about yourself it's not really about that specific thing and you're just like oh interesting interesting yeah and I think that comes back to vulnerability because not asking for help is not showing that you're struggling and is not showing Mm -hmm. that you're vulnerable and I really like what you just said that it's not about being it's not about being woe is me I'm not being victimizing myself but what you're doing by sharing your story and opening up and being vulnerable is allowing other people to connect with you and build community and it's so I think nourishing for other people to hear it's inspiring it's like you know you hear if you hear a story about someone who um was handed everything on a on a plate and they're successful you're like yeah you hear a story about someone who struggled through something came out the other side and you know achieved things in spite of mental health challenges Mm -hmm. and race culture you know economic circumstances whatever it is that is inspiring and you can anybody can relate to the story and see okay well if you can make it as a black woman go going through (laughs) pre-menopause and you're you know doing that then like surely I yeah can can. do it do you know what I mean it's much more inspiring I think so I I just I think I still struggle with I don't think that I'm special I don't think that I do anything great but then I get feedback and it reinforces mm. it for me but I do need to start learning how to go oh no I, I I know I do a really good job I I'm very lucky that I think I'm still friends with maybe three or four of the people that I've worked very closely with and, and been my bosses um, and I've working relationship has changed into a friendship so I know that I bring something yeah that only I can do yeah and there was I know you said not to do any prep for this but I couldn't help myself (laughs) and um there was one thing that I wanted to go back on and in reading this article which was um Trevor Noah talking about what it means to be purple people but we won't do that bit but there was a bit where he talks about being um he's uh the interviewer questions him around you were second choice for the Daily Show. He wasn't the first choice for when he was coming mm. in. There was somebody else. And the interviewer asked him, are you not grateful for... Are you a bit less grateful because you're like, you weren't the first choice? And Trevor Noah's response was genius as ever. He goes, we're usually the second choice in everything. Oh, Most yeah. people that you marry are your second choice. They're not your first choice. And you know when you hear something and it hits you and you're so yeah. pessimistic, you're like, oh, we're rarely ever the first choice. We're, and That's is it, it's fine fine yeah it's your job to make it your first choice and also I think that it again it's that kind of community feeling of like everybody is second choice you're it's not you you're second choice and everybody else is first choice so there's that thing of leveling up and being like oh we're all second choice you know rarely ever first choice I rarely and that makes you think across my whole life I'm rarely the first oh oh actually yeah then actually I don't have to worry about not being worthy because no one else is, because everyone else is second We're choice as well. We're all struggling with Everyone's that. Everyone's struggling. I think it's really interesting that you said about that, that that's a, something you that you struggle with, that you don't... When you, when you were telling me that 
I know I do a good job because other people tell me. So that's outside validation that you're worthy, which is you know completely normal. We all do it. But I, I mean, I aspire to be a person who feels worthy from the inside. And I have to say, I'm not there. I read in a book recently, you know, when something just floors you, that there are people who get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, <laughs> no notes. You've got this. No notes. I'm always working on something. I'm always like, I need to be better at this. I need to do that. I should go to the gym more. Like physical, mental, you know, be a better person, all these things. Can you imagine getting up in the morning? No notes. <laughs> Who are these people? I don't know any of them. Just FYI. I don't know any of them. If, if someone is listening um, to this and you're one of those people, like, let, can you like send me an email? How did you get there? Because I'd really like to know. Um, so I'm working on this and honestly, every woman I know is working on this. But mm-hmm. Because we do the work and we are, I think, partly doing the work because we're pushing back against the patriarchy, society, history, racism, you know, all these things that maybe we've been taught to feel that in and of yourself, you're not. Yeah, you're not enough. There, you're not enough, you're not worthy. But it's f***ing bullshit because you are. And I'd tell people all day long, but as honestly, I'm working on that for myself. (laughs) It's much easier to say to someone else. And I just thought because we see the light in everybody else, we don't always see it in ourselves. Yeah. So you see when everyone else is burning really brightly, and you know when people are putting in the work, you can tell. You can tell they're constantly thinking about what is my impact, but not just like what is my impact in my um, organization or my career or you know what marks like what is my personal impact. Mm. Um, one of the things that you, the conversation, knowing we have this conversation today, was around. Oh, God, menopausal brain fog. It's so annoying. Um, Don't worry, I've got COVID brain fog. So we're meeting somewhere <laughs> we're meeting in, in, the, in, the in this foggy haze. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. It was, oh, no, it's gone. It will come back to me. Okay. If, you, if it comes, just interrupt me. We can edit it. Cool. <laughs> it's fine. Cool. It will come back to me. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, as you said, 30 years in the industry, lots of experience, lots of, I'm sure, ups and downs, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to ask you and I don't want it to be like like you said it's not about being the victim but it is about sharing and opening up and I think for other people to hear the kind of challenges that we're all facing similar challenges Mm -hmm. as women in the music industry and particularly for people of color uh, additional challenges I would say so what for you has been a challenge as a black woman in the music industry sometimes being the only person who looks like you in the room can be very lonely Mm. Um, really lonely. But I think also you, and I think actually uh, it it was definitely highlighted in um, Black Lives in Music report, I think from 2021, around how like the intersectionality of being black and being a woman means that your your experience within the music industry is like a double whammy. For sure. Um, and one of my very dear friends, Paulette Long, I think, put it very, very well, is that you have to build an exterior. You don't come with all of your stuff. You don't, I don't turn up. I didn't used to turn up as fully enabled as I turn up now. I'm very good at assimilating to the environment that I'm in. And although there's a, I'll use the word fetishization of being black, there is and it can be quite evident within music so you end up being everyone's black friend oh. um 
and they get cachet from that in a way that you know. Mm. Oh, see, we I have a, we yeah, we are Stephanie to yeah, be on our board, so now we've I'm, got diversity. Yeah, or... I'm the you're the you're the black friend, or you're. I think this is probably something more internal for me but you can sometimes feel like you're the token hire like yeah. then you kind of make everything look okay that's you difficult to navigate as, because yeah. you're like am I being hired because I'm good at my job or am I being hired because I'm a black woman I can imagine yeah. that is the creeping in of self-doubt there and also the ingenuity is that a word <laughs> Ingenu- <laughs> ingenuity I don't know if that's a word but to, I feel that when you're saying about being the black friend I mean Obviously, I don't know what that feels like. And I just want to super acknowledge I'm very white. But I feel I can really empathize with that. That It links to the loneliness because you must feel like you're not sure if someone's genuinely your friend for the yeah. right reasons. Yeah. And it's not even that because usually people aren't like going out of their way to do that. But then you'll hear them talk about you in a way and you suddenly realize, uh. oh... Oh. it's not just about me being me mm. it's me being me and I add this thing for you and that uh. can be so that means that you are and I think it's like general for me most of the time you're always guarded yeah you always kind of have a yeah you you are always guarded because you're always trying to uh, for me you're always trying to protect yourself yeah I'm always trying to protect myself in all situations because someone will come out and say something really wayward to you and usually, less so now in the role that I have now, when I was in more junior roles, you didn't have any power to say anything back. And also, something else that Paulette said, um, when we were talking about it, we didn't have the language. Mm. So now, I would say that's a microaggression. Yeah. But, you know, when I started 30 years ago, we didn't have that language to be identifying the thing that just happened to you. And you know it happened to you. You felt it. Other people are looking at you like, whoa, yeah, that's, awkward, that's or... really weird. Yeah. But you don't have the language to be able to push back and say, well, that's what it was. Yeah. There's um, just this like uncomfortable feeling. Uncomfortable feeling. So you no one can home, name you it. You go home thinking, have, am I going crazy? Mm. Is it me? Am I going, am I literally, am I going crazy? Did that thing just happen and it was completely inappropriate? And I've got nowhere, and, and there's nowhere to sell it there's no one to tell it to there's no one who's gonna fight my corner about it that's the difference that I see now that I've come back into an industry and I don't feel I always have to be so defensive or don't have to be so guarded because people know that they can't get away Mm. with the stuff that they used to get away with and they will question what they say um that doesn't mean that the racism has gone away it doesn't mean they think any differently, but they know they can't say it out of their mouths. Right. I was going to say, so how do you, how has it been for you or the feeling that you've had from coming back into the music industry? It's quite a unique viewpoint, actually, that you were in it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to see. Yeah. But you've had this break and then you come back. And for you, if you reflect on the difference between how it was before, like, is it getting better or is it the same or is it different? I, I think it is. I think because we're having the conversations that like we never had like I think I've worked in a few record labels and I think we may have had like a diversity group but it was just one of those groups that you'd hear in the newsletter no one really paid any attention like things didn't really change um you got pregnant you probably weren't coming back to the business yeah, see after you never. That. <laughs> if anything happened if you like 
if you had a miscarriage, like no one talked about any of those things in the workplace or what that impact would have on you. Mm. Well-being, well, if you you're, you should be grateful you work in this industry because there I get 100 CVs every day and I could replace you in a second. That kind of vibe doesn't wash anymore. No. I don't think in bigger companies, I can't speak, speak for smaller ones, but I don't think you can get away with that in bigger companies. So those are the changes that I see. There's there's less of a, you should be grateful to work here. There is more of a organisation where you're like, we have to make it an environment where you and I, where you can flourish mm. and uh, we have a kind of, oh, do you call it safe harbour? That our organisation should be a safe harbour for you rather than it be somewhere which is detrimental. I think because I come from a time of growing up in the UK in the 70s and the 80s, working in the music industry in the 90s, that I still take it with a pinch of salt. I'm not always 101% convinced, but I think there are more people working in the industry that truly understand and believe in equity. Mm. And that can only, and that is definitely a, a, an improvement that I've experienced and see. People are very passionate about it. And everyone knows that they can't ignore it. It's not gonna. It's not gonna go away. Yeah, it's not phase. It's, yeah, it's it's so not a phase. But it's also it's a really it's a journey. Mm. And I think one of the things I did here coming back, I'm seeing lots of people that were in the industry when I was starting out, and they're still in it. And they talk about being really tired. And I felt that, like oh. I felt it. I was like, yeah, you, you, yeah, you're gonna be. You're tired exhausted because you've been doing this. For a really long time you've been campaigning on some of these issues for 30 years and there is a and I say that and I, I, I see their tiredness but I also see another generation that are coming up behind me that are so fierce so determined to make change happen and to see that change in their working lifetime that that fills me with lots and lots of hope um and I think my position is a, a little bit, I feel like I'm too assimilated to make, to see everything because for me, it's like I'm swimming in the water. I, like I don't notice it because I've, yeah, like I'm, in it. I've, I'm in it. Um, and so I will never stop any of those people that are pushing behind me and pushing hard. And I know that I'll have to step out of the way and let them lead. But my job is to keep them safe while they're on their journey to catch up with me and then I'll step aside and they can do the, they can carry on the mantle. Yeah, and you're kind of paving the way and in, in, in part of that movement towards... I also think sometimes the music industry is kind of like a microcosm of the society in yeah, many no, ways. Yeah, completely. And so these things are the progression we're seeing everywhere, slowly moving towards getting there gradually. It's a slow movement, but it's moving in the right direction. Yes. There's still so much work. Work to be done. To be done. Um, and it's there is so much work to be done. So we've talked about some of the challenges and the struggles of being a woman and a black woman in the music industry. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think we can do as women and what can the music industry do to help empower and support women in the music industry and to make the music industry more inclusive and equitable? Uh, thank you for asking me that question. Um, because... Uh at UK Music, one of the things that we done last year was the diversity report. Um, and it does have like the five point plan, which is around how you as an organization can make your workplace and the people that you who work for you um, 
inclusive uh to be more equitable so anyone wants to read that then they're happy we'll to link do to that. it you can that's um a great resource to for an organization on how to do it um i think as an individual how you do it um for networks have always worked for me um i think i mentioned before that i was part of the music leaders network which was a pilot which i think was supported by the mpa in 2008 and now is um, alive and, and running well with Remy Harris and Tamara Gallon. And I think they're going to be doing their next cohort this year. Being on networks, being in groups, your tribe, finding your tribe. And there are so, and there are many more kind of places where you can do that within the music industry, particularly if you're a woman. So um, there is the Music Leaders Network. There's Cats Mothers, which is an organisation uh, with Natalie Wade and Nikki. Um, and they have um, amazing women working in the music industry and creative industries who are going to be, um, who will support younger women coming up. So that's definitely one to look out for. She said so, um, mm. Women in Control. There are so many groups now that are aimed at women and uh how you are supported and move your way up through the industry so there's a bit of a responsibility for the organization to do the work but there's also responsibility on the individual to do the work one can't help without the other um and also i think we need allies and i think we need allies that are visible and vocal and my friend said to me um i always want the ally to be an ally before 2020 which i think is really is really telling so yeah find an ally that was an ally before 2020 thank you i think there's a really good kind of almost practical tips actually which is makes i think sometimes it's can be very daunting like how do we overcome sexism and racism in the music industry it's like <laughs> uh give me a hundred years <laughs> so thank you for a really good practical step i think if you're not already if you're listening to this podcast and you're not already part of a formal community of women or it doesn't have to be women, it's just that this is the conversation that we're having now, but a, any community, and I think in particular, as women, we find discussions like the one we're having so nourishing and inspiring and to share the doubts and the mm -hmm. fears and also how to overcome those fears yes. and the tips and stuff. And also with the community thing, I really feel like we we move together as a whole much more powerful much than, more powerfully, than exactly. doing it individually you're seen you're understood um and you know that you're not alone mm. so little anecdote to that that saying all those ones was so music leaders network some of those people i haven't spoken to for a good five or six years um so when i got the role um the wonderful jenny goodwin put it into the group chat and the wave of support that i got it was literally, I had to take a step away from my desk and have like deep breaths with myself. Like, I'm not going to cry on the desk. I'm not going to cry at my desk. My bone was pinging. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh my God, of course you should do this job. And they were so supportive. And so it means that I go to, I will go to a, an industry event and I will see someone from the group across the room. Mm. And you can see that we're just going to gravitate through that evening. We're going to meet up. We're going to have a conversation. It may be five minutes. It may be half an hour. But that person sees me and knows mm. me and wants the very best for me having that in your corner means that you don't worry about what room you're in because you know you're already meant to you're be not there. alone you're not alone in it you're never alone in it if you've got a really strong network um if you find your tribe they can help and lift you up so that all the other stuff that does impact you doesn't stick doesn't stay doesn't stop you from doing the things you're meant to be doing i love it it's great 
great answer. Thank you. You're in a position of leadership, mm-hmm. right? So was that, a, you know, when you were talking about coming back into the music industry, being in a position of leadership, some people don't find themselves in that position, but some people aspire to be in that position. Like, how do you, what do you think makes a good leader? Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about your leadership style? Um, that's a great question. Um, what do I feel about leadership? I think leadership is really important because I think you have to make a conscious choice that you're going to lead. You can be great in your field and what you do, but when you're deciding that you're going to lead people, then that's a different element. Leadership can be taught and it can be nurtured, but you have to want to do it. And if you don't want to do it, then don't lead because you will damage people. Mm. And that's not fair. Um, So I think you have to make a conscious choice to want to lead. Um, And with leadership, you have to kind of do the work and the work is really painful and it's really hard and it's not going to be pretty. There are going to be times when you don't like yourself because you're going to have a revelation and you're really not going to like it. Um, So you have to really make the choice to want to lead. Um, And I'll I'll just tell a little story around that in that I, in part of my freelance phrase, which I hated, um, I did get to interview Michael Day, who I think is Sir Michael Day now. And he was the histor- he was the CEO of Historical Palaces. And so I was interviewing him at um, Hampton Court in Henry VIII's uh, nursemaid's room, which was his office, Whoa. which was just that was that's a whole story in itself. I literally was geeking out. It was just amazing. But he told a story about leadership. So Hampton Palace is a very big place and he would park his car in the car park every day. But he had several different routes to get to his office. And he knew, depending on what time of day and the route that he took, that it, who he would see mm. on his route to his office. And he knew that he could set the whole tone of the business by his interactions with those people. So he knew the gravitas of his influence. And so he would set himself every day in the car like... Regardless of what's going on, I know in that journey, my interaction has to be positive with all of those individuals because it will set the tone of this building and get to my office. I can have whatever moment I want to have in my office, but in that journey, and that's what leadership is, it is you have to understand your impact, um, good and bad, and make a conscious decision about how you're going to apply it that day. And the bits in between where sometimes you're not sure, unfortunately, as a leader, you're going to have to hold that until you're in a safe space and you can share it with people that are on your level or you can trust. But you have to make that choice on your walk to Mm. wherever you're going about who you're going to interact with and the impact that you have. That's what leadership is for me. Having that conscious understanding that I have this impact, I lead an organisation, so I've got to be good, even if it is just for a walk to get to my office. That's a really powerful Yeah, no, it was a good one. That was such a good day. It was such a good day. Such a good day. So... I feel like, I mean, for me, I'm also in a leadership role in my university and I did training for it. And I think what you said is really important because some people think maybe, oh, I could do that. But actually, it does come with a a serious sense of responsibility. And I agree that leadership can be taught. I think some people have a natural capacity, Mm -hmm. that energy for leadership, but that it's also a skill. And even those people go through the training. And I found the training so enlightening, actually. And I would consider myself a bit of a natural leader like in a, you know those group things where it's like who maybe just I'm loud I don't know um <laughs> but I learned a lot in those things and for me one of the things I took away from that was the difference between management and leadership and for me it's like management is like 
you work at my company, I'll tell you what to do. You've got to be here at nine and you leave at five or whatever. Leadership is like literally leading the way and leading by example and trying to get everyone to come on the journey Mm -hmm. with you. Not by telling them what to do. They're their own person. I mean, in, in a university setting, everybody who works there has a PhD. So they're all fucking smart and they all think they're smarter than you. <laughs> and like, you know, generally love academics, but we are a t- certain type of person who, you know, we little silos of people, we're doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. And so leadership's really, ch- management does not work. We don't even have that power. I can't tell them to do anything. They can just be like, no, mate, I'm not doing that. So leadership's really powerful because it's about bringing people together. It's a people job, isn't it? Yep. Bringing people together, making them f- also feel held and heard and moving as a community and I think that speaks a lot to what you're saying about the it's the people interaction Mm -hmm. and the acknowledgement of the you know take seriously the responsibility of leadership because it is not like you said damage can be done if you don't yeah damage can be done without and I definitely think that's about my last job not the one I'm currently in and you have to have because what you're trying to do is get everyone to understand the mission and Mm. move in the direction of the mission how they get there long as we deliver but you have to give them the mission and you have to give them the purpose um but you kind of in leadership you have to embody it you can't you can't dial it in and uh i think for women sometimes that is difficult but if anyone wants a model about how you do leadership jane diable is always my perfect example. legend also oh, podcast guest. i know i, I listened so you, you and can she was, listen she was brilliant uh, as per usual but she changed the view for me of what it means to be a leader and and definitely be a female leader so yeah I think it's interesting thing about female leadership because we in general generalizing again um you know women have different attributes and I think it's one thing I always say to women who when we're having these conversations and to myself as well is that it's very easy to slip into the idea that to be a female leader you want to look like a male leader you know politics the same female politicians talk about dressing like a, in male sort of style suits and stuff for the same reason. But actually, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about being authentic and using your uniqueness as part of your leadership and recognising that... And I think that's why the community element is so important as well because talk to other female pe- women in positions of leadership because we probably do things differently. Mm-hmm. You can learn from everyone. I completely... Uh, I'm um, a patchwork yeah. All my leadership comes from watching and observing male and female uh, leaders. And don't be afraid to try stuff out. And sometimes it fits and it works really well for you. And other times it's like, yeah, no, no, that's not my style. But you have to be prepared to change. You have to be prepared to adapt. And you have to kind of make sure the person that's at the back is as supportive as the person who's leading at the front. Mm, and, yeah. that, and that can be a big span sometimes, but it's worth it. What was that thing that Jane said? I can't remember if it was in the podcast or if it was at her speech at the MPA lunch about making decisions. You just remember. Oh, I love that one. So Jane talks about you you have to make a decision, mainly because usually uh, you're either going to be right or you're either going to be wrong. And if you're wrong, you can usually fix it. And once you know that you've made a decision and you you have a direction of travel, if you don't make a decision, you can ground an organisation to a halt. And uh, that was really inspiring for me. I really like that. But I remember my last bo- uh, per- last person I'll ever call boss. So at, at um, Lloyd Register had a boss, Tom, Tom Bordley, and he's brilliant. Um, and he's the last person I'll call my boss. I, I'll work with, I'm sure I'll work for other people, but he's my last boss. 
And he always said, don't make the decision until you have to, but when you make the decision, make it. Don't mm. come in half-hearted. Don't, like, we're making this decision. And I think if you put those two together, it's like, make the decision. If it's the wrong one, you can fix it. You can always yeah. fix it. And I think she said, if it's the wrong decision, you'll find out quickly. Quickly. And then, and you, then can, you can change course. And then you can change it. It's so true. You've got to keep doing you've got to keep moving you've got to everything should be forward motion yeah um not to be static through yeah. fear of making the yeah. wrong decision i love yeah. that yeah. so inspiring thank you thank you I have one final question okay. which is it's a hard one who is your favorite all-time ever female artist composer or songwriter <gasps> oh oh it's a tough that's one you can tough it's such a tough one you can take a minute i would no pressure say, oh my goodness so oh I'm also going to ask you if this helps with your answer for a current female artist, performer, songwriter, whoever. I say that because you can you can yeah. be any creator, really, music maker. So you can have a current and a kind of like a historical or legendary kind of inspiration. Oh, so I have to say uh, Tina Turner. <gasps> that because be my because <laughs> my middle name's Tina and my mom and dad did name me. And she is a Tina Turner. She's star. amazing. And they had a real moment about her on television over the Christmas period. I watched it too while well, I was my, in, lying in bed with I COVID. Watched, I watched it with my mum. So we literally had the best time and I was up trying to yeah. do the dance and realised I don't have the knees for it anymore. Um, <laughs> so Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, um, Whitney, like women, big voices. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to love it. Um, and uh, I would actually also say Tori Amos because she was, uh, I think, her debut album was one of the first ones I saw the creative process of because uh, it was at East West. I'd work in the press office. She would come in and play her snippets of her stuff that she'd done. And I just couldn't understand how do you make that happen? Like it never existed before and now it exists. And she's just an amazing artist. And I will hear the album and I will be transported back 30 years and remember exactly what I was doing when I first heard it. God, an artist from today, Little Sims, I just think... And I love the fact that we're all talking about the last album and giving it accolades and stuff. She's like, yeah, later, I've got the next one coming yeah. out. And it's just as that heavy. That girl is busy. You're just like, <laughs> oh, my girl, my girl. And she, the way she comes across, the little dexterity, just everything about her, I absolutely love. So she's definitely up there. These are really strong answers and I love it because one of the things I'm really seeing when people answer this question is that it's what's more interesting than the answer is the why. And also to highlight these attributes that we're seeing in these women doing it. And it's like they're pioneering. They are, you know, Tina Turner overcoming and, you know, succeeding trials and tribulations. Getting and doing through. the thing that we're actually talking about is yeah. that I think the um, Mobos for the first time this year had an alternative category. Mm -hmm. And she went from R&B to like rock stadium and she knew that she had to make that transition in her music if she wanted to be the star that she wanted to be mm. that level of understanding about where you want to be when you start and where you want to end up just phenomenal and yeah. doing it and doing it and being amazing so yeah so yeah definitely and her. always in heels that woman oh she dances she in heels i know i just saw the concert and i was like she must be at least 50 something. I I'm in trainers. I actually all looked it up. Yeah. She was in heels, proper heels, yeah. doing that. She is such oh. a f rock star. I have so much admiration yeah. for her. And actually, all the people you mentioned, I think, really strong answers. Thank yes. you. Thank you. So, thank you so much. Yay. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability, which you let 
<laughs> let out <laughs> a little, little bit, bit which is really important i think so thank you so much for coming today and talking about these thank things. you so much for having me i really appreciate it thanks for listening and if you enjoyed this episode please like share and subscribe